Well, there are things that happen from time to time that kind of just kind of remind us, show up and remind us how frail we are. Maybe we're not quite as strong as we think we are. One of them is, for me, is that it takes an alarm to get me up on time in the morning. I can't just wake myself up. I need an alarm. Maybe for you, it's the fact that an alarm is not able to wake you up in the morning, or you have to set, like some of you have to set like three or four different alarms to wake up in the morning. Uh, another reminder for me is uh, pretty much any time I have to parallel park. Hmm? I, will, I will drive around the block a few times uh, hoping that something other than a parallel space opens up because it is, I'm embarrassingly bad at parallel parking. Um, just a lot of things that show up. I mean, the other, <laughs> woke up in the middle of the night, as I often do, to feel like I probably need to get to the bathroom, and so pitch dark in the room, and this was this past week, and have made that journey from my side of the bed to the bathroom lots of times, and you would figure I would be able to successfully navigate that, but how many of you guys have, in the middle of the night, headed to the bathroom and hit your foot on like the bedpost or a piece of furniture? <sighs> I did that. Let out a little yelp. And I don't know why it is like the worst feeling. I mean, it is like the sky is falling. I'm going to die. And I think maybe it's because you're in kind of this sleepy, you know, like blur and you're just kind of, and then pow! Man, you clock that foot on a inanimate object and it just is the worst. Well, I've got a little thought experiment I want to take us through this morning as we explore this, how frail we are. So just kind of go with me on this. If, okay, if, if you can live without caffeine, if you can be cheerful and ignoring aches and pains, obviously I'm not, if you can resist complaining, if you can take criticism and blame without falling into resentment, if you can ignore a friend's mistake without feeling the need to correct him or her, if you, can if you can resist treating a rich friend better than you treat a poor friend, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can relax without liquor, if you can fall asleep at night without medication, if you can honestly say that deep in your heart you have no prejudices, no prejudices related to creed or color or religion or politics, if you can do all of that, then you have almost achieved the level of spiritual development of your dog. <laughs> I mean, right? My dog is perfect. She doesn't do any of those things that I do. And like I said, we're human, we're frail, we know that. No, no big headline banner to shock you this morning. Occasionally we have a highlight real moment, but other times we have not so great moments. And that's why I think it's so important when you go to Mark's gospel, he opens up with these words about Jesus, letting us know that Jesus is different. He calls Jesus in the first word of the gospel of Mark, the Son of God. I mean, he is one of us. He was born into this world he was a person, but he is the Son of God, and that is a good thing. We don't need a Savior who can parallel park. We need a Savior who can save us from our sins. We need a Savior who is different. We don't 
We don't measure up. We struggle. We blow it sometimes. Now, let me be clear about something. Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God, but if you actually met him, Isaiah 53, verse 2, if you met Jesus, you would not think, based on his appearance, there was anything special about him. Okay? Like if there was a police lineup of, of potential messiahs, you wouldn't go, it's that one. Just look like a guy. But as we read through the Gospel of Mark, we see that he was anything but just a guy. He was amazing. For starters, Jesus said amazing things. Be quiet. Come out of that man. Jesus told a demon in Mark chapter 1, verse 25. Be healed. Chapter 1, verse 41. He said to a man with leprosy. Your sins are forgiven, he said to a man in chapter 2, verse 5. And Mark took care to point out in chapter 1, verse 22, that, quote, the people were amazed at his teaching. Amazed at the things that Jesus said. And oh yeah, he did some amazing things too, didn't he? Uh, Mark tells story after story of these incredible things that Jesus was able to do. He cast out demons. He healed all manner of sickness. He, at one point, raised a dead girl back to life. Amazing. He fed 5,000 people with a snack. Amazing. He walked on water, Mark records. Amazing. He quieted a thunderstorm with a word. Amazing. And Mark wrote in chapter 2, verse 12, that people were, quote, all amazed and praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Jesus amazed people. The people were amazed. The disciples, chapter 10, verse 24, the disciples were amazed. The religious leaders were amazed, chapter 12, verse 17. Mark even says the Roman governor was amazed, chapter 15, verse 5. Amazed because of Jesus. Now, for all of the amazing things that Jesus said and that Jesus did for me... Maybe the most amazing didn't involve a miracle, but a meal. We're going to talk about the Last Supper this morning. And there are some incredible things that just shock me every time I consider this story. So let's talk first, or let Mark tell us about the preparations for the meal. Chapter 14, starting in verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, let me just say here, so we're talking about the Passover, the biggest of the Jewish holidays. Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? Great question, because it's Passover. Pilgrims have flooded the city. Jerusalem is crowded. Very difficult to find a space to celebrate the meal if you didn't have a home there in Jerusalem. So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. That's a little different because men in that culture didn't, they weren't the water carriers. It was the ladies who carried the water around. 
as he, uh, so follow him, as he enters this house, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room that I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare the meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus said it would be, and they prepared the Passover meal there. Did you see, isn't it interesting how involved Jesus got in the details of this supper? Truly great meals require great preparation, and Jesus was getting things just right down to the details, right in this story. I mean, guys going to town... You're going to see a guy carrying a water jug. Just follow him. Eventually, he'll turn into a house. Follow him into the house. Talk to the owner. You will find out the owner has a room prepared for our Passover meal that is just right. And when it came to this meal, Jesus wanted to be sure that everything was just right. Now, this Passover meal, or the Seder meal, it was special to Jews. You can tell from the story, it's special to this day. That Passover table, since about 1440 B.C., the night of the first Passover, Jews have been gathering to remember what happened on that date. It was eaten the night, that very first one, the night before their deliverance from Egypt, where they had been slaves for centuries. God had... You remember the stories. God had taken on Pharaoh. God had taken on the gods of Egypt with a series of dramatic plagues, shock and awe assaults against Egypt and her deities. But uh, but Abraham, Pharaoh was so proud and would not relent. Passover night. This final plague, this awful, terrible plague. The firstborn would die. I don't know how many of us are firstborn this morning, but the firstborn would die. Even animal firstborn would die on this night. Terrible, terrible night. And each Jewish family would sacrifice a lamb, the Paschal Lamb. And they would smear the blood of that lamb on the door frame of the house, ensuring that God would recognize them as being His. And God would shelter them from this terrible calamity that was going to befall Egypt. And to this day, that night is remembered as the Passover meal. The table is set, glasses of wine are poured, and they represent redemption and deliverance and salvation for God's people. Unleavened bread, thin wafers are prepared and served, and they remind the the participants of how they had to escape Egypt in such haste. They didn't even have time to let the bread rise. Bitter herbs will be part of that Passover plate reminding participants of the bitterness of their centuries of slavery and oppression. And then a a piece of lamb shank is there on the plate reminding everyone of the Paschal lamb that was sacrificed and whose blood marked them for salvation. Incredibly important meal. 
very meaningful to Jews. And so this Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples that they will share this Passover meal together in this upper room. The city is packed with pilgrims, but everything is just as Jesus said, and the room is prepared for them. So let's get into the meal, starting in verse 17. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve disciples. As they were at the table eating, so maybe this is, they've been eating for 45 minutes or an hour, Jesus said, now, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, they each asked each other in turn, am I the one? Am I the one? He replied, it is one of you twelve who is eating from the bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die as the Scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some of the bread and he, and he blessed it and he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives. And oh yeah, on the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. So there they were. Sharing the Passover meal. Off of those stone walls there in that upper room, you can hear the noise rumbling around a group of men eating and sharing stories and laughing and glasses clanking. And then Jesus gets their attention and wow does he ever get their attention. I tell you the truth, one of you here at this table will betray me. And next month, just in a few weeks, we're going to gather around different tables with family members and celebrate Thanksgiving dinner. And wherever that may be for you, I just want you to, I want you to kind of imagine a scene. Imagine you're there, you're feasting, it's noisy, kids are squirting around and everything, and all of a sudden, Grandpa stands up. And Grandpa clinks on his glass and says, I need everyone's attention. I've got something I need you to hear. Got a phone call today. It was a death threat. Someone called threatening to kill me. Gasps right in. Who would do such a thing? Can't be. Grandpa says, this isn't a joke. This wasn't a prank call. This was real. I'm about to die. I'm going to be killed. More gasps. More, no, this can't be. More, who would do such a thing? Maybe even a few, maybe Grandpa's lost it, you know? And then Grandpa really gets their attention. He says, and the person who made that phone call is here at this table eating with us. 
How would that make you feel? Mark tells us how it made the disciples feel. Mark says they felt greatly distressed. Greatly distressed. Surely he's not talking about me, they asked. And Judas had to be absolutely petrified. I mean, right? It's like, oh no, I know I'm the one. I know I'm about to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Is he going to name me? Is he going to shame me in front of all of these guys? He is scared to death. And let's not forget, before the meal, Jesus had made all of these preparations, and they got there, and Jesus went from man to man, washing their feet. And here's Judas sitting right next to Jesus, sitting at the place of honor. Right? I mean, he's close enough to Jesus to dip his piece of bread in the same bowl that Jesus is using. In John's account, we have kind of a chilling prophecy that's referenced. John 13, verse 18. This is to fulfill the Scripture, Jesus said. This is to fulfill the Scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. The story is amazing. Minutes before the betrayal was to happen, the Lord is gently scrubbing and washing the very heel of the man that will crush him. Amazing love. And over the years, there have been a lot of things said about Jesus, against Jesus even. I've never heard anyone accuse Jesus of not practicing what he preached. What did Jesus preach? He preached love. He preached loving your neighbor as yourself. He preached loving your enemies. He said, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. And Jesus lived that out till the, till the bitter end. And other gospel accounts inform us that Judas, Judas didn't wait around, right, to be unmasked, to be shamed. He took off into the night to betray the Lord and to get his money. Jesus is amazing. There is no way I would choose to spend my last evening breaking bread, having dinner with the one that was going to kill me, with the one who was going to betray me. And now, for what really amazes me, because our attention is so drawn to Judas, Judas Iscariot, that we almost forget about the other 11 disciples sitting around the table breaking bread with Jesus. Remember what he said there in verse 27. He said to them, all of you will desert me. Judas isn't the only one running off and deserting me. Peter, James, John, all of you guys, you're going to desert me. You're going to forsake me. The Son of God fellowshipping with sinners. Sinners like us. And so this supper was a feast for felons, a, a supper for sinners. The bread, Jesus shows them. This, this bread is not just pointing to something that happened 
centuries ago, this bread is about me. I am the lamb. My body will be broken, bloodied, and bruised for your salvation. And this cup is not just pointing back to the blood of the lamb centuries ago. It's pointing to my blood. I'm the paschal lamb. My blood will be shed for the redemption of mankind. The lamb is me. And the meal that we share together each week, the communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, some call it, it is a supper for sinners. It is our peace meal where God invites us to the table, sinners, to break bread with Him in His presence. We're welcome at His table. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this in certain places. One time in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about, I think, verse 28, about when you break bread, when you celebrate communion together, Paul says, examine yourselves. Now, do you think Paul was saying, I want you to examine yourselves when you break bread together, thinking you're going, you're going to examine yourself, and you're going to say, hmm... Yep, another sin-free week for me. Another week of total perfection. Once again, as I examine myself, yes, saintliness achieved. I don't think so. Examine yourself and realize how unworthy you are to break bread. Examine yourself and understand the extent that you need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that your salvation depends on what he accomplished with his body and his blood. Examine yourself. And then Paul says, so don't take in an unworthy manner. And by the way, if you think taking in an unworthy manner means that if you sin, you cannot partake of the Lord's Supper, you better rethink that. Because if that's true, Jesus ate that meal all by himself, right? And to this day, he would be the only one who could eat that meal. But it's a meal for sinners. It's a thanksgiving feast for us with our Lord, with our Savior. There was a, an NPR interview I got to tell you about. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, a Catholic nun, a, a Sister Helen Prejohn, who was featured in the movie Dead Man Walking and who's done a lot of work with men on death row, men waiting for their execution. And in this interview, she spoke about her work with one particular inmate, a man named Dobie Williams, who was on death row. He is a mildly retarded African-American man who had been accused of murder. She believed him to be innocent of that crime. But Dobie had become a Christian in prison. Right? And on the day of his execution... Pray John talks about kind of an odd custom there at the Louisiana State Penitentiary. You see, the warden considers himself a born-again Christian. He makes sure that all of the inmates on death row get a chance to hear the gospel. And then this odd custom is he invites them to have their final meal with him. They sit at a table together with the warden. They get to invite a couple of the, the prison guards of, of their choosing, of the condemned man's choosing, and they will join hands, they pray together, and they experience this meal together. And Pray John recalls that Dobie told her, 
I don't think I'm going to eat that meal with, with that warden because this is not like no real Christian fellowship. Because when we get up afterwards, they're going to get up and kill me. And Pray John recalls that she told him, told him, Dobie, you don't have to eat that meal with the warden and the guards. And that story makes me think of this story in the Gospel of Mark. Because when it comes to this Passover meal, I can't help but marvel at Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus chose to do. He chose to enjoy his last meal with his betrayer and his deserters. That's who he break, broke bread with. And to me, that's amazing. Three quick take-homes. We're going to finish quickly. This is on the outline this morning. Like I said, it's going to go fast, so be ready. If you want to write this down. Just reminders. One reminder is of the fact that we are all sinners. When we break bread, we remember that we are all sinners. We have all forsaken Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin, we all fall short. The next thing, the Lord's Supper reminds us of this. It reminds us of the forgiveness that we enjoy because of the amazing love of Christ for sinners like us. It's a Thanksgiving meal, isn't it? And let's read this verse together. If you would read this with me. We, we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are, I love that, we are justified freely. We are made right. We get to sit at the table with the Lord because our sins have been washed away. We are cleansed of all guilt. And then we talk about this future that God has prepared for us because of this thing called atonement. It means there is no debt that is outstanding. It has all been paid. Our future is secure in the hands of the God who loves us. So the communion feast reminds us of the future before us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And I would say because of the resurrection as well. Romans 3.25, God presented him, presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. The Paschal Lamb. It all ties together. And really it was all pointing forward throughout history to the cross. This morning, maybe you need to confess something. Ask for prayers. Maybe you want to give your life to Christ. We had someone give their life to Christ at first service. She was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You could do that today and join your story to this redemption story. However, you need to respond. Do that as we stand together and worship.